Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beach read. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. I don't know about you, Sarah. My phone has blown up with messages from people, many of whom I know to be fairly conflicted overall about abortion, asking me if I think Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned. I do think this has really gotten the public's attention. And I think it's important that we pay attention because the principle in case law that says we follow what has already been decided is called stare decisis. It means we are a court and first we follow what the legislature says. And when that is unclear, we look to our previous opinions. We don't just go about saying, what do we think today? Because it's important for law to have continuity. It's important to uphold people's expectations once those expectations have been set. But the Supreme Court has recently, in a couple of decisions, been a little more casual about that. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Fancy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance.
Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Pantsy Politics, in which we're going to tell you the five things you need to know about abortion law. I'm going to be real with you. We've crammed a lot into each of these five things. This might be more, yeah, it's like, more like 15. <laughs> the 30 things you need to know about abortion law. But we're going to do that because we know that many of you have been waiting for us to discuss new laws passed in Georgia and Alabama. And so today we're going to set up just the facts not our opinions. Here's what we need to know about where we are. And then on Tuesday's show, in our main segment, we will talk about what we think about all of this. So we hope that you'll hang with us as we get through a pretty intense, but I think important background discussion. I'm going to be real with you, though. I'm going to be real. I got some pretty big feelings. They might bubble up in this episode. Just forewarning. Spoiler alert. Before we get into that, You all have just made our week with your response to our Patreon drive, and we're so excited. We're getting really close to being able to go to Iowa and New Hampshire. Less than 100 away. On our Friday episodes during the Patreon drive, we thought we would do a little deep dive into the levels. So we're going to start with the $5 level, but let me just say, if you want to support us and you really want us to get to that 1000 Patreon goal where we go on the mini tour, you can do less than $5. You can just do a dollar a month. That counts towards our goal. So P.S. There is less than $5. But the $5 level is where some of the bonus content starts to kick in. This one we created this year. We're really excited. Beth does the nightly nuance four nights a week. That is a seven to 10 minute rundown of either a new Supreme Court decision or a issue in the news. On Thursdays, she's going to make it 2020 presidential election only. Beth, did you know that we have a new candidate? Welcome to the clown car, Bill de Blasio. Mayor de Blasio is in. So here's a little tease of tonight's episode. I read this really fascinating article about why people are still getting in. And a lot of people reportedly including Mayor de Blasio, are a little peeved that a mayor from South Bend, Indiana has become so popular. That is a bad reason to run for president. And they think if someone from South Bend, Indiana can do this, how about shining a light a little brighter on their own work? Isn't that fascinating? No, it's not fascinating. It's annoying. So that's what the Thursday... Nightly Nuance will be on, and those Thursday discussions will be available to everyone at the $5 level. So here's another fun announcement with regards to the Nightly Nuance. We're going to make it publicly available next week so everybody can get a sense of what they're like. That was a suggestion from one of our listeners, and it was a very good one. So next week, Monday through Thursday, including the Thursday special 2020 presidential Nightly Nuance, will be available Publicly on Patreon. So if you're like, I don't know, I want to know more about the Nightly Nuance, next week is your chance. And by publicly available, we mean whether you support us on Patreon at any level or not. So if you go to our link, you will be able to listen to those Nightly Nuances. I want to say, too, that that suggestion came to us via Instagram. I've seen in my notifications some Facebook messages popping up. You guys, I don't know what's going on with Facebook and pages. It is really hard for me to even get to those messages now. Just something about the way they've changed the structure. Facebook has become really untenable for us as a great way to communicate directly with you. So if there's something you want to be sure that we see, please send it to us either on Instagram or via email. We do not mean to ignore you ever. Facebook has just gotten really 
finicky. Well, also, quick Instagram update. We are currently at 9,340 followers. That 10,000 swipe up level, I can see it. I can smell it. So if you haven't followed us on Instagram yet, please do. Please, please do. That's a great way to support us if you're not available to support us on Patreon. So we wanted to let you hear directly from some folks who do support us on Patreon. And first up, we have a quick message from our friend and Patreon supporter, Mandy. Hey, this is Mandy Asbury, and I am a Patreon supporter of Pantsuit Politics. I was first introduced to Sarah and Beth in early 2018 and have fallen in love. I come from a political background and still have some very important people in my life living and working in D.C., The point is, I love and care about politics. What I love about Pantsuit Politics is the commitment to factually-based representation of events, people, and ideas. I appreciate so much the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that Sarah and Beth pour into the show and their community, and it is because of that incredible work that they do that I chose to become a Patreon supporter last year. It has been a great honor for me over the past few months to be a member of the book launch team as well, for I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. I love that I can support two women who are so committed to bettering themselves and our world for our kids and for those around us who don't have a platform of their own. I am constantly encouraging folks to check out the show, and for those that love it, I encourage them to support through Patreon as well. The more we support Sarah and Beth, the more they are able to provide us with. It's a win-win and a no-brainer for me. I consider it a privilege and an honor to call the ladies of Pantsuit Politics friends and comrades in making the world a better place. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you, all of you who support our work here. We hear from you all the time that your favorite content are these episodes where we give you a lot of information. These are the episodes that take the most time and work. So if you like what you hear today or you find it valuable, this is a great reason to help fund this work. And without further ado, here are the many things you need to know about abortion law. So number one, let's do just a quick rundown of the long and emotional history in the U.S. that Roe v. Wade didn't stop, but really just intensified. We started with English common law. So in England, when we came over here and started this experiment we call America, abortion was not permitted after quickening, which we understood as just when you could start to feel a baby moving around about 15 to 20 weeks into pregnancy. In Great Britain in 1803, abortion became illegal, and you started to see anti-abortion statutes popping up in the United States in the 1820s. Many historians think that these statutes were actually about safety, not about ethical concerns. But as science advanced and we learned more about how human beings develop— Many physicians realize that quickening doesn't mean a whole lot, that human beings begin to develop and it's just a continuum throughout the whole pregnancy, but that wasn't a line that really changed what was happening. And physicians quickly became the loudest voices against both abortion and contraceptives. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that, and many of them were economic, right, instead of ethical. But that's where things landed. 
Other factors that influenced the rise of anti-abortion laws were the increase in married women seeking abortions. For a long time, people understood that abortions were being sought by unmarried women who didn't wish to be pregnant. But when married women started seeking abortions, it made everyone very nervous. The women's right movement also made a lot of men very nervous, which led to a rise in these laws. And I think this is so important. A number of early feminists opposed abortion, but not because they didn't want abortions to happen by a matter of law. They said, we need to get to the root cause here, which are men who force women into pregnancies, leading to this necessary but undesirable procedure. So by 1900, abortion was a felony in every state. And then you start to see some shifts over the course of the 20th century. In 1967, Colorado was the first state to decriminalize abortion in cases of rape, incest, or which in which pregnancy would lead to permanent physical disability of the woman. Then California, Oregon, North Carolina followed suit. In 1970, Hawaii became the first state to legalize abortion on the request of the woman, and New York allowed abortions up to the 24th week of pregnancy. So by the time Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, abortion was illegal in 30 states. 16 states banned abortion except in the case of rape, incest, and a health threat to the mother. Three states allowed residents to obtain abortions, and New York allowed abortions generally. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy beach read. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Pantsuit. 
The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk tops. Premium luggage options and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt. In Japan, they like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. So Roe considered the right of privacy, which it said includes the right to have an abortion, against state interest in regulation. And it decided the 14th Amendment protects a woman's right to have an abortion, but the state also has an interest after viability in protecting fetuses. This is a quote from the opinion. State regulation protective of fetal life after viability has both logical and biological justifications. If the state is interested in protecting fetal life after viability, it may go so far as to prescribe abortion during that period, except when it is necessary to preserve the life or health of the mother. So Roe versus Wade made everybody unhappy, essentially. It said there is a right to an abortion. It is a limited right. And this was a 7-2 Supreme Court decision, which I think is really significant. And if you look at polling over time, which we'll talk more about in a minute, Roe versus Wade is kind of reflective of the complexity of how most Americans have historically felt about abortion. You see that over time, around 50 percent, sometimes a little higher than that, of Americans believe that abortion should be available with limitations. So Roe gets decided and then a plethora of laws pass aimed at chipping away at Roe and the court kept taking up those laws. I also think before we move into those laws, it's important to point out that Roe was really formulated around a trimester framework. It was set up with regards to viability really focused on first trimester, second trimester, and third trimester. And they're going to move away from that because a lot of this, I think, happened because of the advances in medical technology. And so you're seeing premature babies being able to survive early and earlier in the even second trimester. But I think from the beginning, that trimester formulation was problematic. And so you're going to see them move away from that as we get into some of these other cases. So first you have the 1980 decision in Harris versus McRae, which upheld the Hyde Amendment, which passed in 1976 and bars the use of any federal funds to pay for abortion except to save the life of the mother. It was later expanded during the Clinton administration to include when pregnancy arises from incest and has a huge impact because of Medicaid. So you see Congress step up and say, "Okay, well, if it's legal, then we're going to do everything we can to restrict access to it, beginning with how people pay for it. 
1989, the court considered Webster versus Reproductive Health Services. Justice Rehnquist was one of the two dissenting justices in Roe versus Wade. And Rehnquist tried in 1989 to organize a group to overturn Roe versus Wade. But Sandra Day O'Connor on the Supreme Court defected from her fellow somewhat conservative justices. I think the court was a little murkier then than it is now. And they were not able to do it. And she proved to be instrumental again in 1992 when the court considered Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is really the second most seminal decision of the court on abortion. So this case was looking at a Pennsylvania statute that imposed several restrictions on abortion, including having a married woman inform her husband, having a minor get the consent of at least one parent, and mandatory 24-hour waiting periods. So... The essential holding of Roe that the 14th Amendment protects the right to choose to have an abortion prior to fetal viability was affirmed. It was reaffirmed. But they abandoned that trimester framework, which forbade virtually any regulation of first trimester abortions, and replaced it with an undue burden test that Sandra Day O'Connor had long advocated for. Under the undue burden test, which basically held that a law could not place an undue burden on someone seeking an abortion, the court struck down the Pennsylvania's requirement that a married woman inform her husband before obtaining an abortion, but it upheld the statute's other regulations, including the 24-hour waiting period and the requirement that minors obtain the consent of at least one parent. So we move from Roe v. Wade that says if you're in the first trimester, you have an basically untouchable right to an abortion. Then we move into, okay, well, you still have a right to an abortion, but the state can regulate that. We're going to pump up the state's rights that were listed in Roe v. Wade to regulate abortion, and they can start putting these hurdles for you to jump over as long as they're not, quote unquote, an undue burden. The next important case for you to know about happened in 2006, Ayotte versus Planned Parenthood of Northern New England. That is Kelly Ayotte. She was at the time the attorney general of New Hampshire. This case allowed courts to strike only the unconstitutional parts of an anti-abortion law without striking the entire law. And it made it harder for courts to strike down an anti-abortion law on its face, that is, before it can actually go into effect and harm someone who may later bring suit to try to strike it down. Then in 2007, you see Gonzalez versus Carhartt that upheld the 2003 Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act. It also did something else. It gave the court, quote unquote, a wide discretion to pass legislation in areas where there is medical and scientific uncertainty. So basically they're saying the state can step in and regulate even if there isn't great scientific evidence that the regulation will have an impact on the woman's life, on the fetal health, any of those things. They can basically use junk science to justify their regulations. In 2016, the court decided Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt and struck down key provisions of a state law requiring doctors who perform abortions to have difficult to obtain admitting privileges at local hospitals and requiring clinics to have costly hospital-grade facilities as violating a woman's right to an abortion. These laws across the country have been fairly successful in chipping away at abortion access. So that became kind of the new frontier, right? If we can't get this law overturned, then how can we de facto get rid of abortion happening by making it impossible for clinics to exist? So whole woman's health was very important in that regard, but the damage was kind of done 
six states right now in the United States have only one single abortion clinic left. Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, South Dakota, and West Virginia. There is only one place in the entire state where a woman can receive an abortion. So interestingly enough, 2016, the whole women's health case was decided by eight justices because we still had the empty seat. Okay, well, then we get Gorsuch. And most importantly, Justice Kennedy resigns and we get Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. And that leads us to the second thing you need to know, which is this new push with more stringent, more restrictive abortion laws that we're all seeing in the news right now. Ohio, Mississippi, Kentucky, and Georgia have passed what has become known as heartbeat bills. Georgia's law, like Alabama's, which we'll talk about in a minute, relies on the concept of natural law. And this is kind of a return to something that abortion opponents had largely abandoned for a while because it hadn't been successful in court. So natural law is the idea that there are principles in the universe greater than any law that human beings create. And moral principles that predate our Constitution and that are more important than our Constitution require us to view a fetus as a person and protect a fetus accordingly. I thought this was a really helpful summary of why this had been mostly abandoned for a while from Mary Ziegler, who's a law professor writing in the New York Times. She said, abortion opponents grudgingly recognized natural law could open a Pandora's box. If the Supreme Court recognized fetal personhood, the justices would probably subsequently confront claims about fetal rights in a variety of contexts, from social security benefits to tax law. Very early on, conservative originalist jurists like Justice Antonin Scalia called on the court to get out of this area. It was hard to imagine judges wanting to take on the even messier project of developing a fetal personhood jurisprudence. But Georgia and Alabama have gone back in that direction. Georgia's law is also a departure from where most abortion opponents have been because instead of just criminalizing abortion from the provider side, it would subject women who get illegal abortions to up to life imprisonment or the death penalty. Which, if you remember my compliment the other side, came up with regard to some Texas legislation and even the Republicans in Texas were like, no, we're not going to do the death penalty to women trying to get an abortion. So I think what's really important when we talk about natural law in this these quote unquote heartbeat bills is if you have no experience with pregnancy, then it's easy to hear six weeks and think, how could somebody not know they're pregnant at six weeks? Okay. Here's something important for all of us to understand. All the women listening who've been pregnant understand this already, but just a quick review. Pregnancies are dated from the first date of your last period, which includes the two to three weeks of your cycle before and including ovulation. Okay, just basic biology. You are not pregnant (laughs) before you ovulate. So those six weeks could include two to three weeks of time in which you are physically not pregnant. So when you hear people talk about that, understand that two of those weeks, no pregnancy. Also, many women have a regular period. So even if they miss a period in the four to fifth week, they might not know they're pregnant because they might not regularly get their periods. And here is something I think is even more important. When you're talking about a heartbeat, quote unquote, at six weeks, it's not really a heartbeat. What they call it is cardiac motion on the fetal pole, medically speaking. And you cannot detect that 
with an abdominal ultrasound that we all see over the big pregnant bellies in the movies. The only way to detect that is with a transvaginal ultrasound, which is a long miserable, pole, basically. Miserable pole that they stick up your vagina, not to be explicit, to look for it. So right now, the law doesn't require transvaginal ultrasounds. It's going to be left up to the state health department in many of these states. What's to stop them? What's to stop them from saying you are required to have a pole stuck up your vagina to detect this cardiac motion on a fetal pole? What's to stop them? Nothing, as far as I can tell. So you're talking about women being required to have a transvaginal ultrasound to see if there's cardiac motion that would disqualify them from getting an abortion. I think it's important as you consider that transvaginal ultrasound that in this period of the pregnancy, up to 10 weeks, it is possible to take a pill that performs an abortion. Many of us, when we think about abortion, envision a procedure that would involve a doctor essentially being in the same position a doctor would be in for a pelvic exam. And so you might think, well, what's the big deal with a transvaginal ultrasound? Isn't something like that going to be done to a woman's body anyway? And the answer is sometimes no. It might be that a woman has gone in to take a pill for an abortion and suddenly the state health department says, actually, if you want this pill, we're going to do this really invasive procedure to see whether we can detect a heartbeat or not. I think it's also really important when we're talking about abortion via medication, which you can take up to about the first 10 weeks in pregnancy, that these pills are available over the Internet and over the dark web at this point in human history. And when we're talking about criminalizing women for getting abortions, it's not just women sneaking into the back alley that we all envision. I mean, this could lead to the imprisonment of a lot of women because these pills are available over the internet if they wanted to go after people in that way. Which also calls back to mind some of those original 1820s-esque concerns about safety and about Mm -hmm. whether you are getting pills that are actually safe for you to take. And where you're not being monitored. You should be monitored when you're taking those pills. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra-concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit.
We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick and ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. So the third thing that we want to share, and this is related to the second, these outright bans on abortion and heartbeat bills are surging in popularity, despite the fact that public opinion is largely more nuanced about abortion. And I think Sarah did a good job talking about how some of that is related to a court change. States feel like we have the court in place now where we could get five votes to overturn Roe versus Wade. I also think that it's possible some of these states feel there's a limited window on that because if President Trump lost election, Justice Thomas is rumored to be considering retirement. He's also advanced in age, as is Justice Ginsburg. So if you had a Democratic president, the composition of the court could change again. The other thing you should know is that public opinion has shifted pretty dramatically in the last year, which analysts attribute to the public reacting to New York and Virginia's bills on what is known in media as late-term abortion. Marist is reporting that Americans are now as likely to identify as pro-life as they are to identify as pro-choice, including a big jump in Democrats who identify as pro-life. Which I think is important to think about. So many Americans thought that what New York and Virginia were trying to do was very extreme and they had a reaction. And now we have 
what I think many Americans are going to regard as extreme on the other side of the coin. And so there's a possibility for a reaction to that. And I think Alabama's law is a good place to talk about what might provoke that kind of reaction. So Alabama's law is a total ban with no exceptions for rape and incest. It criminalizes the act of providing abortion with up to 99 years in prison for the physician. The only exception, and this is a quote, in cases where abortion is necessary in order to prevent a serious health risk to the unborn child's mother. This was something I learned during the research that I find particularly important and defensive. State Senator Linda Coleman-Madison proposed an amendment to the bill that would require the state to provide free prenatal and medical care for mothers who had been denied an abortion by the new law. Her amendment was struck down by a vote of 23 to 6. Every single vote in favor of the ban was cast by a man, and it was signed into law by the female governor, Kay Ivey. So that's pretty extreme and seemingly out of line with where polling has indicated Americans are on abortion. Since that has happened, I don't know about you, Sarah, my phone has blown up with messages from people, many of whom I know to be fairly conflicted overall about abortion, asking me if I think Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned. I do think this has really gotten the public's attention. And I think it's important that we pay attention because the principle in case law that says we follow what has already been decided is called stare decisis. It means we are a court and first we follow what the legislature says. And when that is unclear, we look to our previous opinions. We don't just go about saying, what do we think today? Because it's important for law to have continuity. It's important to uphold people's expectations once those expectations have been set. But the Supreme Court has recently, in a couple of decisions, been a little more casual about that than they had previously been. The first decision was last June in 2018. It was Janus versus AFSCME, and it was about labor law. It was decided five to four, and the court overturned a 40-year-old precedent that said a public employee who doesn't want to join a public employee union doesn't have to join, but they can be required to pay the portion of the union dues that goes to the bargaining and representation function because that benefits everybody. So the Supreme Court overturned this precedent, and it did in such a way that they'd been chipping away at it for years. And so it kind of was inevitable and not surprising because they had, in a series of decision over six years, case by case, just whittled it away. I just want to let you know that if you are interested in the details of this case, the Janus case, that is one of the nightly nuances that we're going to make public. When this was decided, I did an entire episode really breaking this case down. And my conclusion, just to kind of not bury the lead is I really agreed with the reasoning of the of the decision. Like I agree in principle about where the court landed on this, but I disagree strongly with the opinion because it's so disregarded precedent as a principle. I mean, it just it essentially did what you are taught in law school that courts do not do, which is say, we just think they got this wrong. So we're going to make it right now. So they've done that again recently with a case called Franchise Tax Board of California versus Hyatt. Now, this is not related to abortion law. It's related to whether or not you can sue one state in another state's courts. But Justice Breyer, in his dissent, seemed to have a very pointed warning where he said, today's decision can only cause one to wonder which cases the court will overrule next. I mean, it feels like he's setting off a siren. I read this quote 
From Linda Greenhouse, the Knight Distinguished Journalist in Residence and Joseph M. Goldstein Lecturer in Law at Yale Law School, in an article from The New Yorker that we'll put in the show notes. And I found this quote so chilling. She says, I've looked at this as a template for what might happen to Roe, and she's speaking about the decision in Janus. They could uphold this obstruction, and they could uphold that obstruction, and they could send all these signals, and it would take a number of years, not a huge number of years maybe. And so if Roe finally falls, it'll fall with a little push of a pinky rather than a frontal assault because there won't be much left of it. So that leads us into the fifth thing you should know about where we stand on abortion law, which is that courts are working with these laws, and there are plenty of them to work with. Kentucky's heartbeat law has already been struck down. Mississippi's and Ohio's laws are being challenged. Georgia's and Alabama's laws are expected to be challenged. So Arkansas has a law that puts in a total ban if Roe is overturned. Louisiana has a law that would take effect if Mississippi's heartbeat bill is upheld in court. And you should also know that Decisions on these laws hasn't always broken down as you would expect. With respect to Louisiana's law that required abortion providers to have hospital admission privileges, Justice Roberts joined the liberal justices of the court. And I have a detailed breakdown of that case on the Nightly Nuance as well, which we'll make public so that if you're interested, you can hear more about that case. So Missouri and South Carolina are currently considering heartbeat bills. Tennessee's failed in the Senate and North Carolina's was vetoed by their governor. Liberal states are also getting ready for what the world might look like after Roe versus Wade. There are laws that would maintain or expand access to abortion, such as the laws in New York and Virginia. And we have seen similar proactive laws in New Mexico and Vermont that have been introduced and are gaining traction as well. So it seems like everyone is grappling with the possibility that we, because of the new court composition, because of where the public is, how divisive our country is right now, you know, you can see in the polling, we are losing our nuance about abortion. People are more in pretty extreme places about it. And everyone recognizes that we are at kind of a pivotal moment, even though we've been at this for a long time. This feels a little different. So we're going to talk on Tuesday about what we both think about that. We know that many of you have very strong feelings and personal experiences, lobbying, helping with various efforts concerning abortion. We'd love to hear from you between now and Tuesday. We want to reflect as much of this community as we can in that discussion. We, again, appreciate your support on Patreon and on Instagram and all of your emails and the capacity of this community to hold space around hard conversations. So we'll be back here on Tuesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. 
and connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.